0: to Beyond the Lines. I'm your host, Jason Davis. You can follow this podcast on Facebook at Beyond the Lines Podcast, on Instagram, Beyond the Lines Podcast, on Twitter at underscore Beyond the Lines, and also on TikTok at Beyond the Lines Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, you can email me at btlpodcast213 at gmail.com. This is episode number 53, and today I will be discussing the effectiveness of the Guardian Caps and whether this is the beginning of a new safety measure across all levels of football. So now, let's meet this episode's guest. My guest today is the clinical assistant professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and also the author of the book, The Brain on Youth Sports, the Science, the Myths, and the Future. Dr. Julie Stam, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back.
0: Well, I'm glad to have you back. I had you on episode number 24 back in August uh, 24 of 2021. And back then we talked about concussions and you know what is it a concussion is and how to recognize a concussion, what to do if there is a concussion that's suspected. And we talked a little bit about what coaches and parents can do in terms of safety issues when it comes to protecting their athletes and their kids from suffering concussions. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, but also what I want to talk a little bit about is for those who are following the NFL this year, they've noticed a little bit of a change. The NFL players in those positions that are considered high impact, which would be the offensive linemen, defense linemen, receivers, tight ends, and running backs, those particular players are wearing what's called the guardian caps. The guardian caps have been out for 12 years, but I think people are starting to see that now, and and they're wondering, what is this? So I want to talk a little bit about that. And what that means moving forward in terms of a safety issue so i'm glad to have you on to be able to talk about that
1: yeah i'm happy to be here to talk about it it's definitely something that's gained more attention because the nfl is using it so it's something that's important to inform parents and coaches the younger levels about as well
0: absolutely so before we get into the whole guardian cap issue uh, talk a little bit about what a concussion is and how can parents and coaches recognize, or if they suspect maybe their kid or their athlete is having a concussion or does have a concussion, what can they do about that?
1: Yeah. So a concussion has happened any time that there's a blow to the head or a blow to the body that causes the head to move back and forth. And it causes some kind of symptom for really any amount of time. So there are a wide array of symptoms and no concussion is exactly alike, but common symptoms would be things like a headache, dizziness, nausea, uh, sensitivity to light or noise, just feeling in a fog, those are common symptoms. Some myths about concussions are that you do not have to lose consciousness. People think that you do have to lose consciousness, but actually only about 10% of concussions result in a loss of consciousness. So if you're only looking for loss of consciousness, you're going to miss most concussions. And you don't have to have memory issues, although memory issues can happen as well. Confusion is also a common thing. Some overlooked symptoms include difficulty sleeping. That can be sleeping too much or not sleeping enough or having difficulty falling asleep and also being really emotional. So if your child or your athlete had a blow to the head and then they just seem overly emotional, like more than usual, like that can be also a sign of a concussion. If you suspect a concussion, if in doubt, sit them out. Right, if you're not sure, but if you think there may be a concussion, take the athlete out of the game, especially really at all ages, but especially at younger ages too, there's the risk of complications if they have another hit. So second impact syndrome is not common by any means, but it will occur sometimes when a child has a concussion and then sustains a second blow before that first concussion has healed. And that can be deadly. So it's it's not common at all, but it is something that you just don't want to take that risk for. And also, the risk of having a second concussion and having symptoms last longer are all higher uh, if you don't take them all right away.
0: Absolutely. So I, I mentioned a minute ago again, you know, the Guardian Caps have been around for 12 years now. So why do you think it's just now reaching the NFL level?
1: Yeah, I'd heard about them, at least in some research, for a little while. You know, I think that the NFL has a lot on, on their hands with the repetitive brain trauma issue. And I think they're looking for ways to do something about it, or at least give the appearance that they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of those things, it's something that isn't mainstream yet, but now probably will be. And it's something that, a little something they can do to at least seem like they're really taking a step in that direction.
0: Absolutely, like as if they're addressing the issue.
1: Yes, yeah. Now. How much it's really addressing it, maybe that's up for debate, for
0: sure. Well, and I imagine, too, that the science may not come back for a few more years in terms of what's going to happen. And again, these the players are using it in practice. They're not using it in the games as of yet. So, And in practice, as you may know or some of the listeners may know, the players in practice aren't hitting as hard as they do during the game. So even if the data comes back in a couple of years saying this or that, how much can we rely on that when they're not going full speed and hitting as hard or hitting as often as they do in the game so some of that or a lot of that information is probably going to be skewed anyway
1: yeah and you know it is interesting so in practice most of the impacts that are sustained over a season occur now not necessarily at the nfl level this is data from you know high school and college most of the impacts happen in practice because we're just in practice for a greater amount of time mm-hmm. but more concussions occur in games because it is higher speed People are taking risks that they may not take in practice that game environment is different and it's definitely different in the NFL because they are much more limited on what they can do like of all of the levels of play the NFL has gone the farthest to limit contact in practice so they really don't hit that much and these guardian caps are actually from what I read only being used through the second week of preseason camp mm-hmm. so they don't even have to lose throughout the season and again, they don't actually hit that much during the season in practice. Right. But it's really from the first contact practice to the second preseason game, about two weeks. So I think it's it feels like an effort to look like they're doing something, but the actual outcome of that, I don't know how useful that'll be. And even, you know, these guardian caps, the NFL is touting that it can reduce the impact by 10 to 20%. It's not actually that much and how meaningful that is. is is kind of unclear and might have some positive outcome, some positive difference, but it's going to be pretty small. And the number one thing is that the brain will still move in the skull. This does nothing to make the brain more stable on the skull. So an impact to the body, like you don't have to hit your head to have a concussion. Impact to the body that makes your head move back and forth, kind of like whiplash effect can still cause a concussion. So while this might get some degree of benefit, it's not solving the problem. And I think that's an important thing. When we had butter helmets introduced over the years, people started using them as a weapon, right? They had that feeling like they were invincible. And so we've seen changes that way. I just hope that's not what we're also gonna see with the guardian cap and practices.
0: Now that we're seeing the guardian caps at pretty much all levels of football now, is this a good first step in protecting player safety?
1: That's a great question. It's a step. I think that it may be relied on too heavily because it's just, you know, something on, on the cap, but I think, you know, the biggest step we can take is just minimize, if not eliminate those impacts as much as we can, because even if with the garden cap on, even if it limits it a little bit, the brain is still moving in the skull. And at the younger levels, the other issue is that the neck is weak, right? So especially at the youth levels, but even, you know, into high school, their necks are not as strong as these college and NFL players. Absolutely. So when they're taking an impact, their head's moving back and forth more like a bobblehead. And with the weight of a helmet that, especially at the youth level is often already too big, Mm -hmm. then you're adding this guardian cap on and that's even more weight. Um, Although I'm sure they're relatively light, but it still ounces at least. Uh, So we're still seeing forces transmitted to the brain because of that head moving back and forth. So while it's, it's not going to harm anything, you know, other than maybe a little bit more weight shouldn't be seen as like the major step that's going to make a big difference. I worry that it's going to be relied on too heavily as being, oh, they're wearing these caps, then this is really going to keep them much safer. And it's, it's just not entirely true.
0: Very good point. Well, with all the concussion talk and debate over the last 10 years or so, why do you think it took the NFL to finally take this step as small as it may be?
1: Yeah. You know, I think there's always resistance to change. I think the Players Association, I don't know the level of input they had on this, but while they definitely want to protect themselves as players, they also may not want to wear these things in practice, right? right? There's that piece, like getting everybody to get on board and agree to it. The positions that they chose are the highest risk positions, although there's no reason not to have everybody wear them because impacts still happen. Right. And those positions tend to have more impacts at lower G-force level or rotational force. Whereas, you know, your wide receivers, cornerbacks, they tend to have bigger impacts, although fewer of them. Well, you know, you could argue that everybody should just be wearing them, and some coaches are doing that, which is good. If you're going to apply it to some, apply it to all. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's hard to say why it really took so long. You could say that about a lot of the safety changes that have happened, and not just with the NFL, with hockey, with in the NHL, in soccer, you know, we're seeing that worldwide right now with soccer, with rugby, so... That's not a, a unique thing
0: to the NFL. Well, I think in particular to the NFL, some of that may be because it's an admittance to a certain problem that's going on that they've denied for, for so long. So I think that that's part of the, the reasoning. Yeah. So as we talk, certain positions are wearing these over the training camp and practice. Do you think that that's something that's going to translate over into the regular season at some point, that these players are going to be wearing these caps or something similar to this over the regular season at some point in the future?
1: I wouldn't be surprised We'll see what the data comes back at. I do wonder, you know, the NFL doesn't always like to share the data in this way that other research data is shared, but we'll see how that comes back. I do think though that it could be translating over, but I think it will depend on really how many contact practices they have. So there's really not a good reason to wear them in the non-contact practices, or at least it kind of depends on the team. There was some evidence to show that sometimes even in just the shoulder pads and helmets practices that athletes were still hitting with their helmets. So if there really isn't contact happening though, it's probably less useful. But for the contact practices, I wouldn't be surprised see it move into the regular season or further anyway. It kind of felt like they just wanted to pilot it and see how it went.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And go from there. Yeah. So last time we talked, We talked a little bit about it's going to take a while for, in terms of when we're talking about CTE, it's going to take a while for that data to come back. And particularly when we're talking about players who have been diagnosed, obviously, after death with CTE, the brains have been diagnosed and researched and everything. And then that information has to come back. But the science is going to be lagging from what's going on right now. Where are we at right now when it comes to the science and how much is it catching up to real time right now?
1: Yeah, there's great research going into trying to diagnose CTE during life. There's good progress being made with that, with imaging and, you know, there are blood biomarkers that they're trying to look at too. So looking for certain proteins in the blood, the problem with that is that it's not necessarily specific to CTE because Alzheimer's disease involves the same protein, for example, and there are other neurodegenerative diseases that do as well. So trying to find that right combination of proteins or that right level and really determine that the person has CTE is important. And same with the imaging that we think some of these tracers, so basically they inject this radioactive ligand into the individual and it binds to the protein in the brain. So this will be the gold standard that makes that part of the brain light up and it's definitely that protein. And, and then you can use a ligand for a different protein that's also in Alzheimer's disease, for example. and If it's just that tau protein from CTE, then it's probably pretty likely that they have CTE and not something else. But we have to be able to confirm that it actually is CTE in the research. So we can do this study on many living people and we want them to keep their brain as long as possible, of course. But we can't know for sure that they had CTE until they pass away and we can compare the imaging to the brain. And that just takes time. That's the really, difficult part of this research is that we want all these answers now, but we can't really know until we've had enough people that we've both scanned and then they've examined their brain after they pass away.
0: Right. Unfortunately. So I'm going to read you something that Brett Favre said last year. First, I want to get your thoughts on the comment that he made and do you agree with what he said? So back in August of 2021, Brett Favre said that he warned parents not to let their children play football before the age of 14, or they'll greatly increase their kid's risk of eventually developing CTE. So again, first, what are your thoughts on that comment, and do you agree with the age of fourteen before kids uh, should start playing tackle football?
1: I absolutely agree with weight. I think that's a something important. I think the question of CTE is it's just a little more complicated than simplifying it quite like that. What we do know about CTE is that more exposure matters. So the more impacts you sustain over a lifetime, the greater the risk of CTE. That's been pretty well established in the studies that have been done thus far if you start playing at a younger age you're probably going to play everybody pretty much will play maybe through high school or some people may go on to college and if you start younger that's more years of accumulating impacts so in that sense it does increase the risk of developing ct more impacts more time more impacts it would be worse we don't know though and don't have the evidence to show that simply playing when you're younger increases your risk of CTE specifically. So if somebody were to play 10 years from eight to 18 versus somebody playing 14 to 24 going into the league, they aren't necessarily at greater risk. You know, Either one of them, like the one who played younger isn't necessarily at greater risk if they sustain the same number of impacts. So more impacts matter. Age for CTE specifically doesn't necessarily matter, but what we have also found is that at least in one study, those who went on to get CTE anyway, so they were already diagnosed postmortem, their symptom onset, when they started to experience their difficulties with memory and with cognition, with what we call our executive functions, planning, judgment, things like that they started experiencing those symptoms an average of 13 years earlier Hmm. if they started playing before age 12. And just in general, for every year that they started playing younger, they had an earlier onset of about two and a half years earlier. So, yeah, and that's where the development piece comes in. The, a child's brain is rapidly developing. There's so much happening. And we think about that a lot with infants and young children, but there's still so much happening in the brain even into our teenage years. More has kind of settled in as we get into that age 14, that high school range, and building upon the foundation that was laid earlier. And so when you're laying that foundation, hitting your head repeatedly could be disrupting that. Right. And it may not actually show until much later in life, but if you don't establish that foundation and you're essentially starting at a lower threshold or starting at a lower point, you're gonna run out of your reserve earlier if you do end up going on to have a neurodegenerative disease.
0: Right. And so we know that there's a trickle-down effect when it comes to rules and safety of those things. So do you see a lot of these rules are going to change, or are going to be faster changes, say, at the high school and college levels, or even in rec football levels, before we see them at the NFL level?
1: Yeah, you know, the NFL is in a position to really promote change. They are who everybody looks up to. So we'd love to see those changes. And if the NFL came out and said, hey, you know, we're gonna promote flag football through at least until seventh grade or maybe through age 14 or whatever that might be, everybody would jump on board. So I think that's something that we could really use the leadership and guidance on that. There already have been changes, I think, happening. There are far more flag football opportunities or tackle bar football, flex football, just non-contact versions or non-tackle to the ground versions anyway. And that's been awesome to see. We see people like Drew Brees and his flight football program that he's started. Right. And I think those are great first steps. And I think at that kind of grassroots youth level has been really positive change that we've seen, just giving kids more opportunities. And really, you know, the benefit for the NFL there too is we know that kids who play the game are more likely to become fans and be lifelong fans. Absolutely. So if they can get more kids involved playing a non contact version, even if they don't go on to play contact version, they're probably going to continue to be fans.
0: Absolutely. And and since the last time we've talked, and I'm not sure if you've noticed it or not, but I've noticed that there's been a lot more flag leagues, touch leagues, and some of those other kind of flex leagues that you've mentioned. So I think there is a a more of a shift coming with younger kids playing. They're not allowing these four and five-year-olds to play tackle, Although again, a lot of those leagues still exist throughout the country, but I think we're starting to see more of those non-contact leagues go about because again, the science and and all the information that's coming out about concussions is changing things in that direction.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So finally, you're in the NFL headquarters office in New York. The NFL commissioner Roger Goodell is there. The NFL Players Association president is there as well as many scientists and doctors. You also have a seat at the table. The topic of discussion is how to improve safety for football players at all levels. What is your suggestion or advice to the group?
1: My advice would be don't tackle in practice. That would be my, my biggest piece of advice. There are a lot of really successful programs who have gone on to win state championships, the college level win, you know, conference championships, who don't tackle in practice. Maybe they do a couple of times early and that's it. Chris Borland is a former Badger football player, Wisconsin Badger. And he played in the NFL for a year as well, and then retired out of concerns over repetitive impacts. And he would say that he never learned how to tackle properly. Mm -hmm. He was an animal out there and went and tackled anybody, you know, did whatever it took. And great athletes are going to do that, right? right? So taking away those impacts in practice means that you are substantially reducing the overall impacts. We're never gonna prevent every concussion. It's just not gonna happen. Right. But that will prevent a lot of concussions. There's evidence that sustaining more impacts over time increases the risk of having a concussion. So, people who had a concussion had sustained more impacts in the week and even the month leading up to the concussion compared to those who didn't sustain the injury. So, there's a lot of benefit that comes just from not hitting. And it's not just the brain, right? Like, less impacts means you're keeping your whole body healthy and that leaves you ready for
0: game day absolutely and to your point I believe there was a school in New Jersey and I think there are several other ones particularly in North Carolina those high schools won state championships without tackling at all in practice so uh, that's an excellent point that you made so I, I think that's probably where some of this is going to be heading I think there's gonna be a mixture of taking away a lot of the contact days or going to no contact at all during practice and I think some of that NFL model where they're really not hitting much at all during the practices anymore during the training camp and preseason uh, schedule. And I think that's going to trickle down as well, where they're going to try and protect some of these players. And I think that's a wise move.
1: I agree. And it's not about people will say like, oh, you know, I don't want my kid playing football or, you know, that kind of thing. And it's not about getting rid of the game, or it's not about keeping people out of the game. It's about how do we help them to play safely. And I think those are the major steps that need to happen to keep people involved, keep people in the game, like for physical activity too, you know, that's so important. All of the bonds and the so many benefits of sports, you know, we need football, we need the the game. It's how we can have them get all those benefits without the consequence for the brain.
0: Absolutely. One last thing, I know how I feel when I see parents or coaches or whoever post things on social media with these six and seven year olds hitting each other head on. And I just cringe when I see those things and just know what those kids are heading for. And not even just from a physical standpoint or a concussion standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint as well, because you got these kids, you know, ooh, you got hit, you got hit. And you know, these kids are like six and seven years old and they're going head on. So I can imagine for you, that's something terrible for you to watch.
1: Oh yeah, it's so tough to watch they're just kids. They are not making an informed decision to do that. They're making it based on like, everybody's telling me I should. And they don't have the ability to really understand the long-term consequences. They don't really have the ability to understand short-term, you know, what a concussion would do to them with school and friends and all of that. And the adults should be the ones protecting them, right? That's the job of parents and coaches. We should be protecting them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really, really hard to watch, but they can still play the game and there's research with hockey that shows that even without checking, the kids have a blast. Like They love the game. If they haven't been introduced to checking yet, they don't feel like they need it to have fun. Right. So they can still have all the fun and enjoy it, but not do those kinds of drills.
0: Right. Just enjoy the game in a safe manner.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: With well, Dr. Stamp, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. Uh, again, I think, as I said last year, this is something I think we need to, to keep in the forefront. And particularly as data changes, as science and technology changes and, and all of those things, I think it's something that we need to continue to discuss and, and making sure that we're keeping all the players safe and knowledgeable as possible. And as you said, it's not that we're trying to discourage kids from playing football or that they shouldn't play football at all. It's to be able to play it in a more safe manner. So, uh, again, I think it's something that we need to really continue to talk about. And I'm glad to have you on the show to talk about it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So where can people purchase your book and follow you on social media?
1: Yeah. So my book, The Brain on Youth Sports, can be found on Amazon. If you search Google Books, you'll find it there on any online retailer. And you can find me on social media. You can also find it on my website at juliestam.com. And uh, on social media, I'm at juliestamphd at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
0: Excellent. Again, that book is The Brain on Youth Sports. It's a great read. It's very, very informative. It comes from a very good perspective, a very good viewpoint. It's not filled with a bunch of medical jargon that I think most people would think it would come from. It's something that's very easy to read, very easy to understand, and it really lays out everything very, very well for coaches, parents, and even players to read and understand what's going on with the brain with sports and with concussions. It's a very good book. And I recommend each and every player, coach and parent get this book and read it and understand it. And that it's for the good of all the players and everyone involved. So it's a very good book, Dr. Stam.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: Thank you. And I look forward to having you on the show again sometime soon.
1: Thanks. I look forward to coming back.
0: (laughs) All right. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Stam for joining the show. What are the three takeaways from today's episode? Number one, parents and coaches, if you suspect your child or player may have a concussion, sit them out and have them checked out by a medical professional that specializes in concussion diagnosis and treatment. Number two, just like helmets, guardian caps will not prevent a concussion. And number three, parents, coaches, and players, continue to be educated on the latest science, technology, and information surrounding concussions. That concludes episode number 53. If you enjoy this episode, I ask that you share it with a friend. If you enjoy this podcast, I ask that you subscribe. Please tune in for the next episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Take care.